today on This Christian Life. So I was born and raised in a Christian home, and I'm so thankful for the blessing of Christian parents who really instilled in me a love of God's word, and that carried me through my education. I went all the way to getting a PhD in Old Testament studies, so you can see how much I really loved the Bible. That's Marina, one of our storytellers for today. As you can tell, she loved God and his word, so much in fact that she devoted her life's work to studying the Bible. But even though she was serving God, she was about to suffer in ways she never dreamed of. If death stares you in the face, you kind of look at it and go, you can't do anything unless my boss does so. There's no way someone can survive an impact at 120 some miles per hour and a dead stop. And that's Larry, Marina's husband. Not only did death stare him in the face, it landed on his lap. In a split second, Larry found himself sacrificing his life so that his wife Marina might live. We were on our way home and I was anxious to get home because that evening there was going to be the gold medal game between Canada and the United States in women's hockey. So we were following the games. I was looking forward to that game. So we were kind of hurrying our way back home. It was a, a very uneventful, cold February afternoon. It was about 30 below. I don't know if you know that in the winter, it gets pretty chilly up in February, <laughs> up north of Toronto. And here we were driving home on a lovely February day, cold, very cold, but sunny and beautiful. And a car heading toward us 70 miles an hour. We're heading south 70 miles an hour and he just simply doesn't take a bend in the road. And we don't know what happened because his life ended that way, but his vehicle went straight into our lane and plowed into my husband's side of the car. I saw his head pop down. We had rock cuts on both sides of us, so there was nowhere to go. I couldn't go across, the highway was packed. I knew that he was gonna hit us. As the car was coming toward us, I literally thought I was dead and that's the only thought I had. My husband went into this very slow motion. He saw everything that was happening and felt all the parts of the car slowly disengaged. And when he no longer had control of the steering wheel with his seatbelt still on, he threw his body over top of me because he thought he was going to die, but if he could cover my body with his, then I might survive. Time for me went into slow motion. I had not heard of the experience before. A couple people that I've told my story to have said they'd heard of it. Uh, at that very moment, it was just like watching, uh, you know, the old-fashioned VCRs where you, you could increment the scenes one shot at a time. Well, that's what it started to happen. Everything slowed down. I was quite concerned that the glass would break and go into her face. So I did my best. With one arm, I was holding Marina's head back as hard against her seat as I could. It all happened in a split second. It, it was just like a one, two, three, four kind of a thing. So here we are, my husband's body over mine when the car completely impacts us. And in an incredible way, it really saved both of our lives. The car came over and the very second that the front of his car 
hit the front of our commander jeep. I could hear the front of the headlights smash. I could hear the grill crack. I could hear the radiator blow. I could hear the fan belt slip. I could hear the motor started to be pushed back underneath my seat between us. So it literally came through the firewall of the Jeep and was going backwards. I could hear the actual mounting uh, bolts shear. That's how slow it was and how distinct every sound was. And when that motor started to come into the car, the windshield crashed. This uh, motor that was kind of pushing up the floorboard in between Marina and I, I kept thinking to myself, dear Lord, stop it soon. The metal in our Jeep started to wrap around me. My legs were pinned in the corner because half of his car was on my side. So more or less the impact was all gonna be on my side. And that kept happening. The motor kept advancing. Metal kept wrapping around my body. I could feel that things were breaking in my body. And the explosion of energy in my body was like something I had never experienced before. It's as though every atom in my body was being displaced and I could feel them all. And I still wasn't afraid to die or anything, but I was just hoping that everything would work out for Marina. So finally, I heard this shot. It sounded like a gun went off. In fact, it sounded like the gun went off twice. And I thought to myself, now, isn't this wonderful of all things that here I am in the middle of accident and someone's shooting at us. Yeah. <laughs> But it wasn't, it was the airbags went off. It broke seven ribs on one side and broke one rib on the other because it smashed me into the rest that's in between the passenger and the driver. And the second that that loud sound of a gun went off, everything went back to normal time, it, everything. The radiator was pouring stuff out of the front of the engine. There was horns everywhere, the screech of tires and the whole thing. I don't know how long it took between the time the guy hit the front of my Jeep and until the whole thing stopped. I imagine it was like three seconds, but whatever it was, that seemed like it was minutes. And I'm sitting there thinking in regular time, but everything else is going in slow time. So it was quite a moment of focus. Everything came to rest, and that's when, of course, I started to feel pain, and uh, my uh, femur, my leg bone went out the back of my hip. It dislocated off my hip and kept going. Uh, you know, so I had about 12, 13 broken bones in my body. Sometimes God works in the whirlwind. He works in the fire. He scoops up prophets and priests and even regular people like you and me, seemingly from out of the blue, and he sets them in the most challenging situations. He was purple for months, whereas I had no bruising on my body. I had a serious brain injury, but I wasn't to the point of being a complete vegetable. So I believe that if his hand hadn't been holding back my head, I would have been to the point of non-functioning again. I also incurred four lacerations to my bowels from the seatbelt. And if those airbags had deployed, I would have been instantly dead. And you know, the incredible thing is that his sacrifice of laying down his life for me in the end saved his because the car who hit us pushed our engine into our driver's seat and no one knew how Larry was alive when that engine was sitting in the driver's seat and he had thrown his body over so his hip got crushed and pushed out 
of his skin, but his the rest of his body was alive because he was actually in the middle of the car. Somehow I survived that impact. You know, that's a thing Marina probably told us. Somewhere between 120 and 130 total mile per hour dead stop. We didn't ricochet. The car went up like you would see those great commercials in the, of the Dodge Ram where the two Rams hit each other and go up in the air and they come straight back down again. That's what the impact was like. The strange thing was Marina was writing a story for a magazine and the magazine wanted her to do a story on what happens when someone goes through a great trauma in their life and how it impacts them and so on. So she was sitting there typing away on her keyboard. Her PC left her hand. It flew into the air, into the front of the windshield. It followed the windshield around to my side and, and glanced off the door and hit me dead in the middle of my chest. I, have a, I had a big cross. I was one of those guys that had one of those big crosses under his sweater. And uh, it hit me dead in the middle of where the crossbar hits the main beam. And the end of her PC bent my gold cross, and it was a thick cross. It bent it so bad that both arms were out and the bottom and the top were out. So that cross actually saved, because if I would have been hit in the diaphragm in addition to everything else that it was broken in my body, I probably wouldn't be here today. So the cross saved me in a couple of ways that day. So here we are on the side of the road, very disoriented. We had blacked out. Just as we're coming to, I realize that things are very bad. And like in the movies, I feel like I'm in a scene where our car is going to catch fire and I need to get out immediately. Well, God arranged exactly who would be around our car. The person in front of us was a retired fireman. He came back. The window was already kind of semi broken and pushed out on my side. But he yelled through the window, are you okay? And I said, I, I think I'm okay, but I think something's broken. Of course, I didn't know it was 13 things were broken, but uh, it really was quite the experience of having a fellow pull out his phone and say, well, I have some numbers. I'll call them right now. Well, he had the local police department. He had the local fire department. He had the hospital. He sat there and he was making one phone call after the other. And I, I mean, I was aware of it. I had not passed out. And in the couple behind us was a couple of emergency workers, EMTs. So all three of them come out and see the situation I'm in, see me flailing and moving around and are suspicious that I did have internal injuries. So for 48 minutes in freezing weather, they held me bear hug to my seat so that I wouldn't get out of the car. Marina's seatbelt had ripped her intestines, I don't know, her bowel in four spots and she was going septic. So she thought she was on fire. And they came in, they could open the door because that door had not been touched. They opened the door and she said, help me, get me out of here. I'm on fire, I need to get out of the car. Well, they knew right away because there were paramedics. So the lady got in the back and held her against the seat. She kept saying, don't move, don't move. This is your only chance to live. And her husband grabbed her feet and were holding her down so she could not move. There was a while while they were holding her and people were shouting, is he okay? I could hear them all having a conversation outside of my Jeep. And the other fellow was a mess. He had something like 45 broken bones. It was not a pleasant sight. You could see him through the window. He was a mess. 
The ambulance took Marina first because they felt that she had the best chance of survival. They took the other fellow second because they figured out they couldn't get me out of my car. I was wrapped around metal and they couldn't open the door. They couldn't open the window and the steering wheel was against my side and my feet were trapped. I had crushed totally my left ankle. It was totally crushed. There was nothing left of it. Two ribs were broken off and they were sticking out of the side of my, so I had to watch my arm because it kept hitting these two ribs that had broken off and were, were hanging out. Fast forward a number of hours, I arrive at the hospital. Again, another miracle. The surgeon has a day off, but of all things, she's sitting with another surgeon on his day off, having lunch in the cafe of the hospital. And I can't think of any doctors I know who would choose to have their Sunday afternoon lunch in the hospital, but there they were. They could immediately come up. And this was an older woman and she took one look at me and immediately told the nurses to cancel all their testing. There would be no time for a dye test, roll me into the operating room. So instead of a dye test that would result in a very quick minor surgery that would target the injuries I had, she opened up my torso and removed all my organs and felt one by one where my injuries were and was able to put them back together. And she told me several days later when she came to visit me that it was a true miracle I was alive. If I had had the airbags hit me, I would have died. If those people hadn't held me still, I would have tried to get up and I would have been dead before I stood up. Or if a younger surgeon had seen me, they may have gone by the hospital routine of doing dye tests and waiting an hour or so before surgery. And in that time, I would never have made it. So God did an incredible miracle in my life to save me physically. They took me to the hospital, was the same hospital that I had been in Two years later, to the day, because my mother had suffered a serious health setback, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and she she had died that day in the same hospital. So here it is, February the sixteenth, my mother's last day alive, and here I am being brought in two years later. And I remember when I left the hospital, I said, "I'll never be back in this hospital again." And uh, <laughs> when I arrived there. The first thing they did is, as you know, we had a, I had a nice, very nice leather coat, which I loved. I'd paid a lot of money for more than I wanted, but I thought I'm only going to have one that'll last 20 years. And you know what they do with your leather coat? They cut the arms off. They cut, the, they cut it into little pieces. And then they just kind of pull off. And I kept saying to them, I'm okay. Just take the buttons off. Don't wreck my coat. <laughs> I was in the hospital for several months and um, it was a long healing process before I learned how to walk again. The doctor said they didn't think I would walk. And the next morning when I woke up and realized I was kind of still alive, <laughs> they had this little device that brings up the chances of you surviving. And sometimes in a head-on collision, it's like there might be five, six, you know, seven percent chance. That's it. And mine uh, went into the negative. There was no situation where the combined elements could have permitted me to live with that impact where I got hit, you know, leg out the back and so on. He came in and he said, I just wanted to meet you personally because you defied all of the odds. We put our numbers in. It said there's no way someone can survive an impact at 120 some miles per hour and a dead, a dead stop. You know, I, I remember thinking to myself, well, with God, that's not a really big deal. You know? 
I felt the sense of death in those early days as though I wasn't truly and fully alive, but I was struggling to my best and it was Jesus Christ within me holding me together. His healing blood allowing me to go on minute by minute, hour by hour to fight for life. And even as I got physically better, to know that God had a plan and God had a future for me beyond what I could see. But as the days passed, I began to realize something was very wrong with me. I couldn't speak. I couldn't say a single word without stuttering. And I knew who I was, but I was constantly forgetting where I was, what had happened to me. And time would tell that I had a brain injury, severe PTSD, severe anxiety, severe depression. And really, the only reason I lived through that was Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us that to live is Christ. And that could not have been more real in my life. And where I saw a person that might never be able to look after myself again, might look like a fool every time I opened up my mouth. Because of Jesus Christ, I was able to keep going forward and to have a hope of a future and to know that truly God could do more than I could ask or imagine. And give me a vision for my life that would have purpose and meaning, even if it wasn't the path that I had taken through academics. Marina was going to work for Palm Beach Atlantic University. She had an offer. The future had a bit of brightness to it. But in that recovery, what really concerned me most was that Marina, who was a top scholar and she knew Hebrew, the language, she had studied it. And that was one of her main platforms for getting her good jobs. The morning she woke up, she said, I can't remember a single word of Hebrew. So after studying Hebrew for six years intensive, she could not remember a single word. And it just about broke her heart. And when it broke her heart, it broke mine. I just assumed that there was no way she could get that position now because, you know, they hire you for your skills, not for your testimony. I really needed to rebuild all my memories. I had severe amnesia and I remember I would get emails and calls for people and I would have no idea who they were. So one person who contacted me was the dean of the school down here in Florida. And sure enough, he was asking me about details of starting in August. And this was such a shock to me because I had not even realized in my own memory that I had a job and I thought there is no way we will be able to move countries and look at the state I'm in. But God really made a way. In that year, she relearned the entire Hebrew language. And the interesting thing is that what had taken her five and six years previously to learn, she learned it all back in one year. She said suddenly some things would come to her but mostly she had to sit there and take those cards, you know, they sit there with cards one after the other, flipping through them. I mean, in fact, they're called flip cards. The hardest part about my recovery was the constant message from all my therapists that their goals for me was to return to my normal life. And I kept thinking that my normal life seemed so far from where I was or I ever could be. So at some point, I finally had the courage to tell my therapists that I actually didn't want to return to my normal life. Whatever God's plan was, that's what I wanted to pursue. I wanted to look forward and not constantly look back. 
we had three businesses. We owned one of Canada's largest Christian bookstores in Toronto, and we couldn't keep it open. But I kept saying to my mind, I got to keep going. In the back of my mind, I had to keep saying, it's he who endures to the end who gets out of this with all of the rewards. The practical side of recovery, it took a great amount of work. God gave me the courage, but it took a lot of time and endlessly talking to get my speech back. And as for my memories, they never really came back. And often people will feel sorry for me. But the wonder is that I've only been married 10 years. And yet in my mind, I've had the great pleasure and honor of being married my whole life. And every wonderful memory I have is with my husband who stood by my side. First of all, in the accident, he laid down his life, not thinking he would survive. And yet afterwards, many, many times helping me, despite his own injuries, helping me function and helping me to regain my speech and doing memory practices with me and the many things that help me be able to take care of myself again. A lot of the recovery was just brutal. One step at a time and everything is so hard. I have to tell you, there were a few times when I just thought that's it. I'm so tired of it. I had to go to physiotherapy every day. You know, you never even would think about how to walk through a mall. You just sit there and you put her into high gear and you kind of weave in and out and go over to that store, look at the, this in the window, and then the opposite side. But all of a sudden I had to decide whether it was worth the suffering and the trouble to walk across the aisle in a mall. All the things you take for granted I suddenly realized everything that God gives us is a gift. So um, all of that during recovery, and I kept thinking to myself, can things get any worse? We were coming out of the mall where the physiotherapy place was, and a big truck had run into Wendy's to grab a cup of coffee. And so as I'm coming out, I can't see anything. So I edge out and I'm just looking around the corner and a fellow who was coming the opposite way behind the truck decided to ram it into high gear to go around the truck because he wanted to get past it because he was late for returning to work. And would you believe the car hit us dead on my side, front of the car. It was our other Jeep. We had two Jeeps at that time. And uh, fortunately, he hit just the whole front of the car, so he didn't hit the door. He didn't hit us, but the car spun around. And all I remember, as I got out of my car, I couldn't walk because I still had to use a cane to walk. I grabbed my cane and I said, I'm going to give that young whippersnapper a trouncing. <laughs> so I went over to him and I was so upset. And I said, you just ruined my second car in four months. <laughs> you know? So uh, the fellow, uh, he was very, uh, I mean, he was upset and, and so on. But, um, you know, he said, I was late for work. I'm sorry. About a year later, my husband and I decided to take the bold step and move to Florida and I would start a job. And so for the first two weeks, as I taught the students, I really tried hard to fake it. I had spent hours going over my lectures to sound as good as I could. And I tried to be so organized, but inside I was feeling constant anxiety and constantly like a failure. And after about two weeks, I came to the class on the book of Exodus. And here I was the night before reviewing my notes for the 10th time about all the incredible miracles of God in Exodus. And it struck me that I was about to stand in front of them and tell 
these students how incredible God was and that God can do anything. And yet I hadn't even told them my own personal testimony of God's incredible miracles in my own life, really because I was ashamed that I was not fully recovered. So with great fear and trembling, with only five minutes left to class, I quickly decided to share my testimony. And I was so scared, I didn't even look up to see their faces. And the class ended and the students kept asking me questions. They went well after class and finally I had the courage to look up and truthfully there was not a single dry eye in the room and that's the moment I realized that God had preserved my life for a reason far beyond what I could see. After two years of recovery, I had come a long way in every area, especially physically. My pain was very manageable at that time. And so I revisited having children because for me, it had been a lifelong dream. And after a number of tests, my husband and I sat at the doctor's office and the specialist told us the chance of having a child was something like 0.0001. And I looked at that number and for a split second, I was so discouraged because it seemed so helpless and impossible. But immediately I felt a huge sense of relief because now the burden of getting pregnant was no longer about what I ate or if I went for a walk yesterday or if I drank enough water. This number on the page showed me that this was a God-sized prayer. That night I went home and I reread the story of Hannah and yet I saw it in another way. Here's a woman who desired a child and she couldn't make it happen. And there's a sense where Hannah is very alone. She's married, but we don't see her husband there. There's a priest, but he accuses her of being a drunk. He doesn't understand the situation. And the Lord said, you can pray and you can give this to me and you can truly give this situation to me. You don't need to walk around with it every day. You don't need to let it weigh you down. So ironically, I really stopped praying for a child. I prayed one more time that night and I said, Lord, I can't bear the constant weight of this prayer request. I can't spend all day long praying anymore. So I'm going to pray this one last time with all my heart and then I'm going to pass it off to you. And miracle beyond miracle, I did get pregnant. And beyond even having a child, she was an absolute wild child. And by six months of endless kicking, she had kicked out all the scar tissue I had remaining, the scar tissue that had been buried underneath my bones and underneath my ribs. I was basically pain-free by six months. And beyond my physical healing, my hormones changed dramatically. And I went from feeling crazy before pregnancy to actually feeling very normal. And all my depression lifted off and all my anxiety lifted off. Then I gave birth and instead of getting depressed, I was happier than ever. So my doctor said it could be the birthing hormones. Two weeks, three weeks passed, three months passed. By Christmas, six months have passed. I'm still not depressed. I'm not anxious all the time. And it was then that I decided that my daughter, who is now six months old, surely those birthing hormones were gone. And God, beyond my wildest imagination, had done another level of healing and restoration in my life. So not only this beautiful child that he gave me, but so much healing and joy that came along with her life. I guess God had other plans. It must have been in the book already. So to be honest with you, our main testimony is the one that we have found the Bible to be true and reliable. 
And we found out by not just having a little test, but having the supreme test and having come away without a single doubt, not a spot or a wrinkle in our faith. If death stares you in the face, you kind of look at it and go, you can't do anything unless my boss says so. You know, if you really have believed everything that you read in the Bible, bottom line is you suddenly have this uh, brave spirit that you did not have before. I have this amazing confidence that God is sitting there tinkering and watching everybody panic and going, relax, I've got it all under control. And I know he does because of the experience that we had. I was reading again after the accident when um, Jacob wrestled with God, he put his hip out and I thought, aha, he does this. (laughs) It's his signature. We don't know why he allows us to suffer and have unanswered prayers, but I can say in my own life, it was that time of suffering that God built my character and gave me a strength and an understanding of who he is and his word that could not have been done in any way, but through the fire of affliction and the fires of suffering. The greater potential of your testimony the greater sometimes the tribulation or the trial you will have to go through. These issues of life are not easy. They're not simple. Anyone who says that walking the walk of faith is simple has really missed something. It isn't simple. It's complicated. And when these things happen, it's even more complicated. And that is what God can use in a mighty way to impact others. Because we're not relying on our own humanity. We've gone through the fire and we know our weakness. We then turn to God and realize He's in charge. And He would give me the perseverance to face every single day in all of my fears and to be able to go in the strength of God. When we are weak in ourselves, then we are strong in God's strength. And I think that testimony is tenfold stronger. Sometimes the operations on me to get me better were just about as bad as the accident, you know. But I kept thinking to myself, I learned during those uh, very dark days and those very stressful days, uh, God will not do something to you that you cannot take. He's not trying to get you to lose your salvation or your faith. But he is going to use that if you respond in the right way. You'll be able to relate now to all those who are suffering deep pains. You're going to have the chance. Romans 5, verse 3 through 5. But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I was watching during my recuperation period, one fellow He was actually a Vietnam vet. He was older and he was sitting in a wheelchair. He had no legs. He had one arm that kind of semi-worked and he was selling pencils. And I remember thinking to myself, how could we do that to our heroes? And that poor man begging for a buck for a pencil so he could afford to live. And I remember thinking to myself, I probably would have looked at it any other time before the accident and just went, oh, that's so terrible. It wasn't that I thought it was just so terrible. There's a place inside my heart, like it was almost as if it was melting. And I realized the passion God had given me for suffering people. I had not had it before. So 
The only thing you can do sometimes is say, Lord, I feel silly saying this, but thank you for that experience. Can you imagine saying thank you for not one, but two car accidents? But that's just what they did. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves comforted by God. Suffering so we can comfort others. It goes against our instincts, but that's what Jesus did. He suffered so that we could know him, the God of all comfort. So no matter what trials come your way, you can trust that God works out all things for good because he suffered for you in this Christian life. This Christian Life is a production of Family Stations Incorporated and is not affiliated with Christian Life Magazine or Plus Communications Incorporated. Family Radio.